Hey, welcome to the Bill Bennett Show. Uh, we try to offer thoughtful conversation about the news of the day. We address the existential threats to America at home and abroad. Today we'll catch up with Byron York, columnist at the Washington Examiner and a Fox News contributor. We talked to Byron earlier, and I have a few things I'd like to say in regard to that discussion. Yeah, well, we did the interview before we opened the show. That's we recorded right. a little out of order today, which is fine. Right, but uh, but uh, and I yeah. will comment. <laughs> on the interview that's coming on the, up. On the interview that's coming up. <laughs> right. Because I was able to hear it because I conducted it. Right, correct. You were there. Got the audience head spinning. And there's nobody better than Byron. Right. In terms well, of watching the news closely mm-hmm. and analyzing it. Exactly. And, 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 and reporting it. And we talk about it all the time. I mean, even in the opening of the show, it's a thoughtful conversation. Um, you know, Byron really digs deep and he gets in. But I mean, and he always asks the question, if you listen to his interviews, even past interviews on the show, he always says, well, this was this way because of that. And then I asked myself why. So then I did some research or then I looked. And so he's always trying to figure out the why. And he gets to a lot of that stuff. Um, and he reports on it, you know, honestly, fairly, you know, with, without trying to lean anyone one way or the other. He just reports what's going on. One of the things we talked about, Claude, you'll recall, was uh, Afghanistan and we'll, whether we'll continue to have it on our minds. Mm-hmm. And we said that'll depend on whether we're getting any news feeds, any reports, right? right? Pictures, mm-hmm. videos, reports. Mm-hmm. So no sooner did I finish the interview and I thought I had read everything this morning. But I didn't read the Daily Mail or the Times of London. Listen to this headline. Executed. Mm. You know what's coming. Mm -hmm. Afghan sniper who was trained by United Kingdom Special Forces is shot dead as his wife and children wait for him nearby. Wow. From the Daily Mail, the Times. I went to the Times of London for a fuller story, and there it was. Headline, British trained Afghan sniper is killed by Taliban. An Afghan sniper who worked alongside British Special Forces was executed by the Taliban, it was claimed last night. He was shot multiple times in front of his family Mm. in Kabul. According to Ash Alexander Cooper, a former British Army colonel who was deployed with the Afghan on the same operations. He was a 28-year-old father of five. Mm. He'd been in hiding in the capital, but was found and executed Mm. by the Taliban, which is... uh, the government that uh, our Secretary of State says we are working with and finding cooperative. They have challenging uh, backgrounds, this Taliban government, but uh, we're working with them. So, I, you know, does this sort of thing continue? I imagine it does. Um, the British are maybe paying more attention to it mm-hmm. than uh, we are. I'll have to, I could check the French papers, but I don't speak French. For our listeners who uh, do do we do have listeners who go international absolutely travel and mm-hmm. uh, read things if uh, you are picking up stuff about afghanistan from foreign travel or your friends overseas let us know um yeah just email them email us the links email us the, the stories build in a podcast at gmail.com right uh, and and again one of the things brought up in the discussion with byron was this whole taliban government and and the mindset of our secretary of state and his main complaint so far about this Taliban government is that it's not inclusive. Well, did they think that it would be? Right. They, they, uh, that's what, that was Byron's response. They think it would, of course, women are not going to share power no. with women. Right. But it struck me, and this just may be my brain, why is that the biggest problem? That's not inclusive. It doesn't have, it doesn't have any blacks on it either. <laughs> or Hispanics. Right. No, right. Yeah. I guess they can say, well, there aren't any here. Yeah. That's a reasonable answer. <laughs> but there are lots of women. Of course there are. But the main complaint is that's not inclusive. Um, supposing, no, let me, let me say it this way. The government as constituted, the governing Taliban as constituted, is made up of murderers mm-hmm. and people who torture people. Four of them are people who we released from prison in exchange for Bo Bergdahl. They're back now in power. Mm-hmm. And these are people who helped in the initial attack on 9-11. Mm-hmm. And they're back, in, they're back in the government, and we're working with them. Isn't this impossible? Right. I mean, morally? But, 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 but again, I find it odd that Lincoln's main complaint is this inclusive. All right, supposing they picked, found four women. Uh, listeners to our radio show from years ago will remember the story. I think Seth called it the worst thing yet. Women would arrange Taliban women, Al-Qaeda women, they're all blended together, would arrange 
for the rape of young women. And once they were raped and so stained in Sharia law, uh, they then would be encouraged to volunteer as suicide bombers because you were raped. It's your fault. It's a woman. Remember this story? I do. Uh, Extraordinary. So the people who were doing the arranging were women, and they would arrange for these young women to be raped and then go see and comfort the young woman and say, the way you can get rid of this stain is to present yourself as as a suicide bomber. And so they would. So the women who were doing the arranging, if they were part of the cabinet, would Blinken be okay? Mm-hmm. because it would be inclusive. It would mm-hmm. have women on it. But what kind of women? See, this this whole thing about inclusivity, it, it's skin deep or gender right. deep. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, would want a gov- you would not want a government of people of this sort, mm-hmm. male or female, black or white or Hispanic or anything else. It's also somewhat of a liberal buzzword, inclusive. I mean, they use well, that all I the know, time. And I, mean, I think it's a way to try to to try to say I find fault with the way they're doing things without actually insulting them. Because they don't care whether you think they're inclusive or not. They couldn't care less. They don't want to insult So them. I think it's a way to say I have a problem with what they're doing. They're not inclusive. And you know that that's something that yeah, you can say that and maybe it'll make some people think that you're actually insulting them. or, or But you're really not because they don't care and you know they don't care. But what it tells me is about what's in his mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like the lack of inclusivity is worse than the fact that these people are murderers. You know. Mm-hmm. See, I don't think he believes that. I think he's. I think he's just saying it. I yeah. think it's surface. Yeah, maybe. I hope, hopefully, I, I'm right. I hope he doesn't believe. Yeah, it. Hope, hope, hope. I hope he doesn't hope it's believe. Just it, talk, but, no, yeah. you're right. All right. Well, let's folks listen to this interview because this is uh, Byron's the best. No one better on the news and then jumping into it. You're listening to the Bill Bennett Show. Bill Bennett Show. All right, let's jump in. Um, I, I want to ask you, Byron. I watched a lot of the hearing yesterday. Did you see any of it? I watched some of it. Yes, I was struck. I, you know the, the way the Democrats. Um, I was I was on Fox News last night. With Brett Baer and the panel, and Harold Ford, who's you know always genial and, and thoughtful and, and moderate. Uh, gosh, is he still a Democrat? <laughs> given all that. Um, But he did say that he was glad that the Democrats were, you know, coming on pretty tough and, and, uh, you know, challenging uh, what Biden did. I didn't hear that at all. I thought they kind of wrapped themselves around Biden, fully embraced, uh, for the most part, his position on uh, Afghanistan and uh, blamed Trump. That's what I heard. I absolutely thought the same thing. As a matter of fact, Yeah. And um, when Blinken came in, it became clear that his strategy was to to blame Trump and to suggest against all the facts, I would say, that uh, somehow President Biden's hands were tied by uh, agreements that President Trump had made before Biden took office. And we you and I have both discussed uh, how Biden spent his first days in office throwing out one Trump policy and commitment after another. Right. Which he had the authority as the new president to do. Um, and but, but he was not bound at all uh, to follow what the uh, what President Trump had done with the Taliban. This was not a Senate confirmed treaty that President Trump had yeah. with the Taliban. Um, and also it was conditions based. And you could easily and I think correctly argue that the uh, Taliban had violated those conditions. I mean, so there simply was no no uh, reason uh, that Biden had to feel himself bound by what Trump had agreed. Do you, do you think, I, I, I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of people on the Afghanistan thing. A guy I like very much is Ryan Crocker. You know who he is, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, look, I think Trump made a mistake by dealing with the Taliban. And, you know, and that, that, that initial recognition was bad. But Biden didn't, did not have to follow it. And he was the president who made this decision, and he owns it. That's it. I mean, one just has to say that. Correct. Uh, I think that's correct as well. Do you think uh, people have asked me that Trump would have uh, carried through, or would he have insisted on conditions that uh, the Taliban wouldn't meet, and therefore there would not have been any withdrawal? Well, I don't think he would have carried through. Um, You don't? Okay. I think perhaps, yeah, but not entirely on principle or anything. I think perhaps that the first um, sign of trouble 
uh, of course, all of his national security uh, people would be saying, no, you can't leave, you can't leave. And he would have just not left. Um, yeah. So, and, and obviously, when the, if the press was going nuts, I think he would have just uh, uh, not left. And we do have contemporaneous evidence also that he was worried that if um, uh, American forces left uh, in a disorganized way, that they would leave all that equipment, uh, yeah. all that stuff that it's been uh, estimated at $85 billion worth of stuff. That's the kind of thing Trump would be very upset about. And yeah. um, not, I, I, not only $85 billion worth of stuff, but Bagram Air Force Base. Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's, that's, the, that's, you know, that's a big, that's a big thing to leave. Apparently no, the Chinese may take that over. Absolutely astonishing that that remains. I mean, I guess that's not something for a, uh, um, uh, Secretary of State hearing, although I think Blinken should be asked about it too, certainly for the uh, Defense Department hearing. But these are all, by the way, if uh, Blinken's testimony and if uh, Secretary Austin comes and testifies, these are all stand-ins for President Biden not talking about yeah. why uh, he did what he did, specifically what he did uh, in Afghanistan. So you know, obviously Republicans want somebody to resign uh, in the wake of this fiasco, and they'd, they'd love it if it was Biden, but that's not going to happen. So uh, they would certainly press for for a cabinet-level resignation with something like this. I want to move on to other things, but I'll, let me close this out. You don't need to agree, but uh, I'm also with Crocker that there was no reason to leave, not that we were enjoying the fruits of victory, but Crocker pointed out that uh, in 2010, we had 100,000 troops in Afghanistan and the Taliban controlled no provincial capitals. A month ago, we had 2,500 troops, a 97.5% reduction, and the Taliban still did not have control of any provincial capital. It wasn't a, a thriving democracy, but it was a better country and women could work and go to school, for example, and other things. And we were doing it the minimal force of 2,500 a small amount of the defense budget, as Bing West pointed out to me, very small. And, you know, with the support of the Air Force and that uh, the uh, Afghan army collapsed when they heard that we were pulling out. Uh, Bing West makes the case as long as they could hear that scratchy American voice in their, in their radios that they were behind them and Air Force bombing was behind them. They they, they stayed there. Um, it seems to me that would have been a good thing to stay there. Not again, because it was such a substantial victory, but we were holding off the Taliban and keeping from happening what has happened since. You don't have to agree with that. That's just my view. No, I've certainly heard that argument. Um, I do think we went down to 2,500 at the very end. Right. Um, and it had been double or three times that not That's too right. long earlier. So I, That's right. I, don't think, I don't think we could have kept that situation, no provincial capitals, with just 2,500 uh, troops in in the Afghanistan, but I do think the Trump administration. I mean, if you're gonna, if you're if if you're the Trump administration and you're gonna leave, you want to leave Afghanistan. I think uh, events have shown that the Afghan government was just uh, nothing. It was it was a house of cards. So the idea of excluding the or the Taliban from from negotiations. And somehow delegating this to the Afghan government seems to me a crazy idea because they were clearly uh, not capable of governing or really even inclined to govern. So the deal is the country is going to be turned over to the Taliban if you leave. Uh, I think there was significant popular support to leave Afghanistan because um, I think most people believe, certainly I do, that we did not go to Afghanistan in to, late 2001 uh, to make Afghanistan a better place. We went there to get everybody who had anything to do with September 11th. And we, and our role never should have been to make Afghanistan a better place on some permanent level. And the one thing I would agree with Biden uh, is, is that he said, we, we have significant anti-terror operations in countries in which we do not have a military presence, and that we could have had that in Afghanistan. So I, th I think there was a way to do this better than the Biden administration did it, 
On the other hand, I think it's uh, unreasonable, unrealistic to say that the United States could have left Afghanistan and that the Taliban somehow would not then be in charge. All right. So you could live with the Taliban being in charge if the withdrawal had been handled better. Yes. See, I don't I don't get that. I don't want to prolong this because I want to get to three point five trillion and other things. But but just if the Taliban's in charge, you see who's in charge now. And half of the guys who are in charge were the guys who were there at, you know, uh, at 9-11. I mean, you know, I mean, these well, were, there were there were four of them from Guantanamo. Yes. Yeah. And now they're in, you know, now they're in the government. So if we went there, you know, to get rid of these guys 20 years later, we're putting them back in. Well, I don't think we were. Uh, I don't think we were ever going to get rid of these guys. And God knows we don't have the will to get rid of these guys. Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, as we speak, is alive yeah, right. as well I know. I in know. Guantanamo. I know. No, so I'm, I know. Gonna, I'm not going to get myself started on that, but it's something that's no. incredibly irritating uh, to to any American, I think. Uh, but there it is. So um, we have seldom had uh, in recent years the will to to do something like that. Uh, one actually good thing that happened in the war on terror in the last five years is that is Trump's campaign against ISIS. Yeah. Obama was running a pinprick uh, operation right. against ISIS. It was heavily lawyered. And I remember John McCain at a hearing saying, you know, 75% of the sorties that launch fly around and return to base without ever having dropped any bombs or fired any missiles. Yeah. Yeah, because they decided it was unsafe to do that. And Trump said, to hell with that. Let's right. go after them. Uh, right. And it was very successful. So yeah. um, I think that that uh, that is the kind of uh, will and determination that we have rarely shown in the last 20 years. And I don't think the Biden administration would show it in Afghanistan. All right. But they could have. Right. It could have conceivably. You could, sure. you could do it in Afghanistan, what Trump did it to ISIS in Syria, surrounding, yeah. surrounding regions. Yeah, OK. And if Trump had been reelected, that might have happened. It might have. I think, look, I think that that Trump's deal to get out of Afghanistan yeah. would have fallen apart as it as it approached the execution date. Uh, and then Trump would have had to scramble in some way. Yeah. One option he would have in scrambling would be let's just take him out but anyway. We have the reestablishment of the caliphate right, in, in Afghanistan. And it's, uh, I was listening to Mike Morrell, you remember him? Yep. From CIA. I don't think he's a staunch conservative saying this is the greatest celebration for terrorists around the world, you know, uh, that he can remember. And they're all, there's going to be a big party in Kabul because, uh, you know, it's the Taliban won. We lost. Well, look, this is a this is a decision. I, I think General Keene said it took four presidents to get us to this place. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we were not going to win after uh, four presidents and after 20 years. Now, if winning is this kind holding of them off. Holding, holding them off, off yeah. if you I, redefine it is. doing that, then uh, certainly we could have held them off. Um we could have we could have held off the creation of ISIS in Iraq, yep. um, but but we left yep. there. Yeah, yep. and but there was great popular support for leaving there. I mean, I, you know, I don't I don't understand that because I I, I said the other day uh, you agree with it, right? There was and only when people were polled, but in the last fifteen years, I cannot remember any conversation in Washington or North Carolina where. You know, uh, with people and people talk to me about this stuff. Anybody say, by God, we've got to get out of Afghanistan. It, it just wasn't on people's minds at all because right. it was a quiet holding operation, if you will. But when polled, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, let's get out. But, you know, I wonder what would happen if you polled people about should we get out of South Korea or should we get out of Japan? You know, yeah, 80,000 troops there. Yeah, get them out. I mean, I, 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 didn't, I didn't see some great groundswell getting out of Afghanistan. You're right, by the way, 2,500 may not do it. And it's a misrepresentation to say just 2,500. It's 2,500 troops plus 5,000 contractors plus Air Force dropping dropping bombs. But um, supposing you ask the poll question, we have this minimal amount of people, contractors, Air Force, uh, uh, 3% of the defense budget that we're holding off the Taliban. 
poll numbers might have come up differently. They might have. I don't know. Okay. Okay. But we do know that we do know that President Trump got elected yeah. first time, yeah. 2016. Yeah. 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 Uh, promising to get out. You're right. You're right. Okay. Okay. All right. So it's only President Bennett who. <laughs> okay. Tell that guy to go run for president, and then he yeah. can do what he wants. No, I, 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 I see it. I see it. Anyway, we're agreed that the way they got out, we got out, was worst possible which is yeah. back to my original question why are the democrats just supporting biden here a hundred percent this is it you know well, several people have said this is the worst foreign policy exercise of power in the history of the united states and, and they're saying fine with us uh because they're defending their guy and right. uh obviously if a secretary of state were forced to resign or a secretary of defense were forced to resign or even a joint chiefs of staff chair were forced to resign, that would be a significant victory for the opposition. Can't yes, I, the other team, you know, you can't have that. Not going to happen. I don't think any of it's going to happen. I don't think any re- major resignation. Do you see any? I do not. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you. Well, but but you might see it if they had lost democratic support. That's the whole point. Yeah. Okay. One other thing, it's just uh, about the culture, uh, our culture, Blinken talking about this cabinet in Afghanistan is mainly criticized for its lack of inclusivity. I take it that means it doesn't have women, right? Yes, that's absolutely true. I can't, I'm sorry. I'm kind of laughing at that because I mean, the one thing the Republicans are uh, upset about is uh, the incredible public naivete of the uh, Biden administration. And that's basically personified by secretary of state Blinken who comes out and says to the Taliban, now we really expect you to behave and yeah. we absolutely want you to have an inclusive government. And we're very disappointed that you've appointed this interim government and there are no women in it. And you're thinking to yourself, are we seriously expecting the Taliban to appoint a, a female foreign minister? I mean, what in the world are we thinking? Okay, I, ha- I agree with you. I have it a little different way. My surprise is when looking at the cabinet, the objection that the objection is there are no women, and that's right, entirely implausible. Why not the objection being there are four murderers on there? <laughs> yes, I know. I know that, uh, well, so supposing they appointed four women who, uh, you know, were murder- murderesses, okay? Including would, would, Akani, you know, who is... Uh, yeah, but supposing they appointed four women of the same bent, you know? Yeah. Uh, would that be fine then, because it would be inclusive? They wouldn't well, have any black... They wouldn't have, still wouldn't have any black people on it, though. Well, it would, it would fit the Secretary of State's view of in, uh, inclusivity. Okay. Um, but, but what I'm saying is the, the absence of women is more of an offense to him than the presence of murderers. I think you're absolutely right about that. That's what yeah. it sounds like. Unbelievable. Okay. Okay. Uh, so I don't, will this pass? Uh, these things do tend to pass uh, from well, Americans' I think, memories. Well, look, I mean, since uh, obviously uh, <clears throat> Blinken is talking now, but, you know, since this worst part of Afghanistan, we've had the September 11th uh, anniversary and people were talking about that for a while. And now we're all back to talking about $3.5 trillion. Okay. Okay. And the biggest question in the world is, will Joe Manchin insist on $1.75 trillion or agree to more than that? And um, so news does, you know, news does move Change. on. Uh, the other hand, there does come a time for accountability for things like this during elections. So I think we will certainly see a lot more of it. Will we, your journalists, will we continue to see reports, videos, anything out of Afghanistan? It seems to me if journalists... Because for some reason, a journalist being tortured is bigger news than, you know, uh, people being killed. Um, just, you know, uh, judging from all the networks. Uh, if we continue to see journalists being beaten or women being beaten uh, or subjugated, if we continue to get that stuff out of Afghanistan, will that keep this issue alive and hot? I don't know. Yesterday I was listening um to uh, Richard Engel, the reporter who's been spent a mm-hmm, lot of time, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. spent a lot of time there, and he'd gone back to Kabul and was saying everybody was all the Taliban were really pretty nice to him. Um, so if if that sort of uh, continues, we may not see uh, okay. much reporting at all. I mean, yeah, look, but I guess I guess these beatings were of Afghan 
uh, reporters or journalists, not Americans, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know, if they beat the crap out of Richard Engel, that would be the lead story, right? Uh, it certainly would be, yes. We should mention one more thing, which is the, um, which was the apparent mistake uh, in the, um, the Biden administration's drone hit. Oh, yeah. Uh, conducted yeah. the day after yeah. the, uh, the suicide bombing. Right. Advertised as uh, a hit on the bad guys. Got a, in which they said they got a high value target who was, uh, that was imminently planning another attack on U.S. forces at the Kabul airport. Uh, it appears, in fact, they got um, an NGO worker uh, and a, a number of members of his family, maybe a total of 10 people. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I think there were a number of savvy journalists at the time who kept saying, you know, it's it's significant that the uh, Biden administration will not name who it hit, will not tell us know who it just hit yeah yeah um and it's really uh you know you you understand that these things sometimes do happen in a wartime situation um but it would be much better if the administration was open about this and yeah um, told you know the country what had happened yeah this was reported in the new york times and the washington post am i right yeah they both reported it and it's uh you know i i personally just got kind of angry as i read it um you know so much for over the horizon you know well yeah and also because you know we had put u.s troops in such danger yeah uh, in that airport situation yeah and then in retrospect the inevitable happened they were attacked 13 were killed. And, um, and then we, we strike back and we, you know, we don't know what we're doing. Yeah. No, so I know. It was, um, it was a pretty depressing uh, scenario all around. Good point. And let me raise the last one. If, if Mike Morrell, former deputy at CIA, it's right. It's not just the news here that will come from a journalist being beaten in Afghanistan. If he's right that this is uh, the biggest celebration terrorism has had in a long time, victory over the Americans, uh, and uh, you know, all oh, this oh, terrorists all over the world will be delighted and encouraged, uh, then we may see echoes of this. I mean, if there are terrorist attacks, and, oh sure, it's, it's entirely possible. Um, yeah, yeah. We're, we're putting a lot of uh, weight on our our post nine eleven ability to track right. these networks and disrupt plans, uh, which does not depend exclusively on, um, on having a troop presence in Afghanistan. Yeah. But if the first example of that is what you just described, it doesn't look so good, you know, badly, very badly done. Very yeah. Badly. Okay. All right. Let's wor- go move on here to my Democrat man of the year. Um, I was on uh, Brett Barrett's show last night called uh, Joe Manchin Horatius at the Bridge. Um, this <laughs> wonderful poem by Thomas Babington Macaulay, uh, an upspake brave Horatius, captain uh, of the guard. By the way, that poem, I pointed out, I think probably first time on Fox, has 40 stanzas to it. And apparently young Churchill, Winston, memorized all 40, um, his favorite poem. Anyway, That's what they do. <laughs> That's what they do. Okay, we don't do that anymore. Don't no, get they're me really good at that. <laughs> don't get me started. Memorization you know, works. Boris Johnson works. can do that too. You know, so. yeah, memorization works. I'm telling you. Uh, but never mind. We won't get into that. That school stuff. But uh, Joe Manchin is my Horatius. He's holding back 3.5. Is he the only one? When, isn't Kristen said I'm not kind of there too? <laughs> yeah. She- Joe, Joe Manchin is standing athwart the Democratic Party. Alex. Yeah. Um, like the Etruscans at the bridge for Horatius. I'm just trying to be more inclusive here. Well, we is just it, isn't Kristen Cinema yeah, there Kristen, too. Kristen Cinema is there. Also, I think we've heard Mark Warner make some noise about this. Yeah, some noise. That's right. And but I mean, but you have to remember this is in this is basically a, a decision about the size of the Democratic victory here. Yeah. Okay. Um, they came into office. I'm going to do all this off the top of my head, but they came into office 
and some of the most progressive them progressive of them were talking about spending as much as ten trillion dollars above what was normally going to be spent by the U.S. government in the next several years. Really, and, I don't remember that. Really, well, okay. well, well. All right, add it up. Right? They started off by getting one point nine trillion dollars in so-called COVID relief, right. much of which was not really COVID relief, just extraordinary spending, including, by the way. The return or the, the, the initiation of a dole in the United States in the form of a child tax credit that's just sent to uh, families making under um, singles under 75,000 and marrieds under 150,000 with no work requirement or any other requirement. Okay, so there's 1.9 trillion. Now they have done, the, uh, the Senate has done a $1.1 trillion infrastructure plan that's sort of real infrastructure. And the House could pass that at any moment. Nancy Pelosi is holding it hostage to get other spending, but they could pass it tomorrow. And so that's $3 trillion right there. And now they want three and a half more trillion, $3.5 more trillion. And you have a number of progressives saying, no, that should be more than that. It should be $6 trillion. That's where the $10 trillion came from. But... Um, now you have $3.5 trillion, which, if it were passed in its entirety, would be a total of $6.5 trillion in extra spending. Just mind-boggling amounts. Um, I mean, $3.3 trillion, the amount already spent, is more than the entire federal federal outlays, of, I think, any year in the Bush years. Yeah, so, I read you on that. I read your column on that. Yes. It's extraordinary how much money uh, that is. So now... Let's say Joe Manchin uh, gets his way. This one courageous man gets his way and they only spend $1.75 trillion on all these uh, social spending programs. That is still, I do my math right, $4.75 trillion in new spending. That's an extraordinary victory for the spenders. Let me me have you explain to me, maybe the audience too. That means the 3.5 is out or the 3.5 is cut down. Yeah, cut down. Cut down. So right, you cut first down, of all, you have and three you that have they are, they've already gotten. They've already gotten $3 trillion. And right. if they, even if they get $1.75 trillion more, which is half, which is Joe Manchin's half of the 3.5 proposed, put that with what's already spent, that's $4.75 trillion. And new spend- what about that? Are you counting the bipartisan agreement on the one point, whatever it is? Yes. What I did okay. was I took, I took the $1.9 trillion in, quote, COVID relief and added the that- $1.1 trillion in um, infrastructure. That, so that's $3 trillion they've got already. That's the one one that just passed bipartisan or just Correct. bipartisan. Correct. Okay. Okay. That's, that's $3 trillion they've already got. So this this debate over this proposed three point five trillion is in addition to the three trillion they've already got. So let's just say Joe Manchin gets his way, and instead of adding another three point five trillion, they only add half of that one point seven five trillion. Well, add that to the three that they've already got, and it's four point seven five trillion dollars in new spending. And I, I just yeah. think it has to be counted to be an enormous victory for the president and the big biggest spending of democrats okay i guess i just really lowered my expectations i was celebrating not getting 3.5 but it's still a huge amount of money well you've stopped some damage being done yes that's good you've stopped could have been worse right well most of the time that is true yes (laughs) as the lone survivor of the pompeii you know the volcano and vesuvius said hey at least i'm alive there you go all right. Um, wow. Yeah, I, I get. You know, you're right because I, I see this at the other end. I'm getting some secret calls from people I know in the states from the old education business I was in. You know, when I was secretary. Yeah. Saying, do you have any ideas? We've got like trillions of dollars. We don't have any idea what to spend it on. We've already doubled our teacher salaries, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's all this money. By the way, isn't that true? Of the money that's already been approved and legislated and, and voted on and signed, it's not all spent by any means, right? I, I understand that to be the case. First of all, of that one with the one point nine trillion, the first that I was talking about, the COVID relief bill. There had been, I believe, a nine hundred billion dollar uh, COVID relief bill passed in at the end of twenty twenty. Yeah, and they hadn't spent all of that. They hadn't spent most of that when they passed another one point nine trillion. That was so far. It's the pres- President Biden's biggest legislative victory. 
so far. Um, then they spent, then they, they passed the 1.1 trillion, the Senate passed it, and they all congratulated themselves on how bipartisan they were. Nancy Pelosi, as I said, is holding it hostage. But believe me, they're not gonna they're not gonna kill this hostage. They're gonna sign that into law at some point. So there's gonna be 1.1 trillion uh in infrastructure spending. So um I mean yeah. you say these are, these are big they came into office determined to spend as much as they could, and they've gotten a lot. How much has uh big spending, very big spending during the Trump administration uh, been a factor here in terms of the inability to criticize big spending because you well, have Republicans. Yeah. As I, you know, as I was saying about Afghanistan, it took four presidents to get there. Yeah. Uh, you know, Repo- Republicans just, aren't, with, with a few exceptions, they just aren't really that fiscally conservative. Yeah. And so obviously there were a lot of Republicans who complained about George W. Bush. Um, and the deficit went up and up and when he was president. And then, of course, the, the economy collapsed at the end of his term. And that kicked in a lot of what are called, I think, automatic stabilizers, which are um, all sorts of uh, assistance programs that go into effect when you have an economic downturn of the scale that you had in 2008. So, um, you know, the deficit in the first couple of Obama years goes over $1 trillion, which seems like a lot. Um, but it gets people used to this. Yeah. And, uh, and, and obviously, the, I mean, a lot of people were really suffering. So um, I'm not saying that the, the deficit would have been huge, I think, under almost any scenario in those early Obama years. Then it starts going down, but it's also projected to go back up around 2017, I think. And it does. And then Trump, Trump is not a fiscal conservative at all. I don't really care. Um, and, uh, you know, Paul Ryan just wanted his proposal passed, which he got. And then coronavirus happens. And uh, on, the, on the model maybe of 2008, nobody thinks a thing about what they're spending. They just start throwing trillions of dollars at it. And so yeah. now I think we've already spent around $5 trillion on coronavirus. And all of this is borrowed, all of it. Um, so you, it almost sounds quaint when somebody stands up and says, you know, we cannot continue to spend at this rate without some sort of serious reckoning. Well, it is going to happen, but literally almost nobody on Capitol Hill is talking. about. It. Yeah. Uh, will the Democrats uh, pull off this, uh, these tax increases? I think they're going to have, yeah. Well, it seems like they have to get something, doesn't it? I mean, the interesting thing is, and I, I was actually reading this, I can't remember if it was the Washington Post or the New York Times, but a big establishment paper said that um, that the Democratic plan is to tax millionaires and not billionaires. Um, it's it's taxing people, people's income that, that they earn and uh, right. earned income, not, uh, you know, not investment income. Right. Right. And um, it it doesn't really take it. It's 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 like people who are getting paychecks of five million dollars a year. Um, bless their hearts if they're so lucky. Yeah. Um, it's like hitting those people and not the Jeff Bezoses of the world. Yeah. Uh, you know, Bezos actually does have a salary at um, Amazon. I think it's like eighty five thousand dollars a year. Right. So, but he's worth he's a- more than that. And so he's okay. He's okay. Yeah, yeah. This this doesn't really go into the this. Well, wait a minute. Doesn't it go from thirty six to thirty nine even for him? No, he just makes eighty five thousand dollars a year. He's not. Oh, it's thirty six to thirty nine above a certain level. Oh, it's it. That's the marginal. The thirty nine is the marginal tax rate above some amount, and I don't know what that amount is. I don't think it would be set. But today, that's. I don't know. I I don't know when that where the top the top rate kicks in, but it would be on each dollar earned above that. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I see. Well, that's very interesting theory. So because there are too many Democrat billionaires, I guess, right? Yeah. Well, and you also you're, you're not, you know, you're, you're going after the rich um, as AOC put on her dress at the gala. You're going after the rich, but not the super rich. Gosh, does that make moral sense from the democrat i mean is it arguing no, point? no it, it, does, it no. doesn't make, it doesn't no. make um any sense at all but you know as we've often discussed uh 
protect your own. The rich, aren't, the rich aren't rich enough to pay for these levels of spending. Yeah. You know, you, yeah. Could, you could confiscate the wealth. I mean, um, not, not the income, the wealth of every single person, you know, in the top, whatever, hundreds of Bracket, people, yeah. people. And it wouldn't be enough to, to cover these spending measures. Well, when will this bill be due? We hear phrases like our children, our grandchildren. I don't is, know. Is, I mean, you've, you've heard. I don't you know, know either. So, you know, Social Security is in a little worse shape than it was when, uh, when Bush wanted to reform it um, back in uh, after he won re-election, so in 2005 and six. But uh, Medicare has always been, you know, the, the biggest driver of uh, federal debt un- until these extraordinary spending measures the last year. Um, so, you know, when is that going to come due and, and how? Yeah. How does it come due? Uh, we don't really know. It's don't just know. that it's just that you know when you have spending that's so high, and when you have a deficit that gets larger and larger and larger, bigger than your GDP, um, you know you got to be worried. Yeah, but 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 it, yes, but also, I mean, you're a great student of, of of politics and what people say and do. But when you predict disaster and it doesn't come, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I remember interviewing on the radio show, which you graced us with your presence many times, Paul Ryan. And remember, he said, we're at the tipping point. Yeah. Remember this? And if yeah. we don't get control of the spending, we're going down and we won't be able to recover. You remember that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, apparently remember, we, didn't, we, we went down, we didn't went down, but we recovered. Right. Well, the thing is, is that if, if you were preaching that there would be some you know, moment when we would fall off a cliff. It just didn't work that way. We didn't um, fall off a cliff, did we? No. And and what what you're saying, and I think you're correct, is, is that that diminishes the credibility of the people who are right. doing the warning, so that nobody believes them anymore. This and, guy's and, not falling. Never has. Never and will. Yet, yet there still is that uh, that danger out there. I remember when uh, Ryan introduced. Was it called the roadmap? Was that the name? Yes, of it? The roadmap, roadmap for prosperity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was. And he uh, uh, he invited some journalists in for it was for dinner for a preview. He was gonna he was gonna roll it out the next day. And you know the interesting thing about the ro- the roadmap is that it didn't actually balance the budget. And um, I, I can't right. remember what year this was, but it, it projected a balanced budget in like 2040 or something. And I remember asking him. I said, "Well, this doesn't balance the budget like any time anywhere soon. Not, not even like 10 years or something." He said, "No." As, as a matter of fact, it looks like it balances the budget when all the boomers are dead, which, of course, yeah. reduces the, 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 you know, the Medicare spending and the social spending. And he kind of had to admit that, well, yeah, that was, it, was, it depended a lot on uh, demographics uh, to, to make it happen. But we've okay. never really had a plan that could actually bring us back into budget balance. And the last time we were there during the last few years of Bill Clinton it almost seemed like a glorious accident. And, uh, and we immediately started arguing with each other about how to spend the surplus. Right. I'd love to talk about tw- uh, 2022. I-, I heard this the other day from a uh, Democrat strategist. Uh, Republicans are in good shape to take back the House in 2022, but this abortion bill in Texas is a gift to the Democrats and they may keep the House in this regard. Am I supposed to judge yeah. that i don't know yeah um you don't know. how big I'm a deal not- is the texas abortion thing and and how likely is a republican takeover of the house and is that a major problem for the republicans well, i do think that the republicans are on track to win the house um i think usually do right usually happens yeah i think it's usually there are sort of historical forces at work um, for the opposition party in the president's first midterm. You saw that with Bill Clinton, saw it with Barack Obama, you saw it with Donald Trump. You did not see it with George W. Bush because it was 2002 and it was kind of the September yeah. 11th effect. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I do think that Republicans are on track to win the House in 2022. I think there are historical reasons for that. Uh, we have seen the opposition party do extremely well in a president's first midterm, you saw it with Bill Clinton, you saw it with Barack Obama, you saw it with Donald Trump. You did not see it with George W. Bush, but that was in 2002, and I think that was the September 11th effect. So I think um, 
you start with uh, Republicans having a good chance. I also think that Democrats are overplaying their hand uh, with all this spending. Um, and I, um, uh, I think that that will weaken their position. I think that as far as the culture issues, the, uh, the whole wokeness wars that Republicans are determined to use against uh, Democrats, I think that's going to be effective uh, as well. Now, the things that could hurt um, uh, Republicans, uh, could, could Democrats manage to uh, portray them as anti-vaccine, you know, at a time when 75% of Americans have, have been vaccinated? Um, I'm not sure you want to turn into the anti-vaccine party uh, when, in fact, you're making a case against, you know, presidential mandates that don't have sufficient authority. And then there's the Texas abortion thing, uh, which we don't, you know, we don't know exactly how that's going to turn out. My feeling is that's going to be the the law is going to be struck down pretty soon, but I might be wrong. I mean, it's clearly... absolutely clearly totally violates Roe and Casey. Uh, There's no doubt about that in my mind. Um, But then we'll have this actual Supreme Court case, the Dobbs case from Mississippi, which is coming up fall. So, I mean, abortion sort of will be in the news, but um, uh, given everything that's going on, it would be kind of amazing if Republicans could manage to turn the 2022 elections into something about abortion. But Maybe they will. I don't know. You mean Democrats? Yeah. 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 Um, you didn't mention, I mean, you mentioned the spending. Uh, inflation. Is that? Do you see that? Yeah. that? That could be a real big deal, right? Oh, absolutely. People, people yes. noticing. It's not just Democrats spending in general. It's oh, people sure. seeing, man, um, going to the grocery store, going to the gas station. Yeah. You know, uh, prices of some things that rose tremendously have sort of gone down. I was... Um, Pricing a rental car yesterday, uh, roughly the, a similar kind of uh, rental that I had made in uh, May or June, and uh, it was about half what I spent in May. So, mm-hmm. uh, so things have gone down. Price of plywood has gone down. Right. Price, lots of things uh, has gone down. But in general, uh, people clearly know that they're paying more at the grocery store, at the gas station, and I think that it's pretty easy for Republicans to make the case that this is the work of Biden and the big spending Democrats. And not only that, but if they had their way, they would make it worse. So, yeah. uh, so I, I agree. That's, that's a really good issue. And you didn't mention Afghanistan per our earlier long discussion for 2022. Yeah, it, I think, that, uh, well, I think that's something that's going to, that each um, Republican can bring up in his or her race, depending if it's House or Senate, and depending on the sort of position the other, of the other candidate. That depends on where the news is from Afghanistan in, you know, this time yeah. next year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is it kind of, I don't think it'll be forgotten. I think, it, I think voters will kind of mix it in with all their other, um, all the other impressions that are going to lead them to vote. But I, I don't think unless there's really hot events in Afghanistan that it'll be, you know, okay. at the top of the list. Last thing, I think you and I had a similar reaction to President, uh, former President Bush's speech. Yeah. On 9-11. Um, go ahead. <laughs> well, um, you know, it was interesting. Um, President Biden chose not to give a speech yeah. on September 11th. And Good idea, I think. President Clinton and President uh, Obama didn't give a speech either. Uh, President Trump visited a police and fire station in New York City and gave some impromptu remarks, no speech. So there's only one president who gave a formal speech on 9-11, and that was George W. Bush. And uh, the news from it uh, was that uh, he used this speech, he used this occasion, the 20th anniversary of 9-11, to attack um, the forces in U.S. politics that he feels are, are negative and are hurting U.S. politics. And basically, it, it was a thinly veiled attack on Donald Trump and yeah. Donald Trump's followers. Yeah. And even worse than that, he essentially endorsed 
uh, an argument you hear on the left, on MSNBC and other places, um, that the Capitol riot was as bad as September 11th. Yeah. This is an argument right. you hear made with a straight face. Right. And by, by the way he constructed his speech and by the, the occasion of it, which is the 9-11 anniversary, Bush endorsed this left-wing talking point uh, that the uh, Capitol riot was as bad as September 11th. So uh, it was really kind of an appalling performance in, you know, in my view. And amazingly enough, it has won Bush great praise in some media circles. On CNN, I heard one analyst say, well, of course, Bush's legacy will always be the Iraq war. But yesterday, he really added something very positive to his legacy. Yeah, no, I was surprised. He's gotten a lot of hats on the head. Yeah, I think uh, I know who wrote that speech. Well, um, yeah. And uh, there were some you know, florid phrases that, you know, I, I don't think George W. Bush is a capable guy, but I don't think that kind of phrasing is his. I think kindred children of the, of, of the same foul spirit, something like that. Equating um, uh, January sixth, people at the Capitol with uh, terrorists. Yeah, nine uh, eleven. Just well, you know, really... Bush himself. If you remember to the Bush presidency, in public, you know, he could be embarrassingly inarticulate. Yeah, uh, he was speaking off the cuff. Yeah, uh, you, <laughs> who can forget the famous "put food on your family" uh, line or the "won't get fooled again" line. Um, so he could he could get all caught up in his own words. Well, I, we still up. in my staff uh, meetings we still talk about strategery. Strategery, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's um, just become part of the. the that essentially world. became a new word. Yeah. So, um, on the other hand, so you have this president who can be terribly inarticulate, uh, off the cuff in public, uh, and then at the t- at times he would deliver these set piece speeches that were just soaring uh, mm-hmm. rhetorical accomplishments. Now he didn't, you know, deliver them all that well. He wasn't, I mean, he just wasn't a gifted speaker in the way that say Obama was a gifted speaker, but the other, on the other hand, they were really big, very well crafted speeches. Yeah. And uh, so, and obviously in, in that his supporters who were very heartened, you know, by those, well, this had, this speech in uh, Shanksville, Pennsylvania on, on uh, Saturday um, was a short speech. It was less than 10 minutes long, but uh, it had that sort of rhetorical flourishes. Yeah. Some of those good. classic Bush speeches. Thank you. Thank you very much. Byron, this you, is wonderful as always. And we read you and everyone does. We, uh, we miss seeing you, but thank you, sir. Thank you, Bill. Enjoyed it. Stay current on the threat posed by China with our friends at Committee on the Present Danger China. Go to presentdangerchina.org, presentdangerchina.org. All right, that does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to thebillbennettshow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. You can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week.